0: My name's Adele Yango, and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 93 of Legally Clueless. Also, Merry Christmas! I'm so excited. <laughs> As you know, especially if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, Christmas is my favorite time of year, I think... It's right at par with my birthday. Ah, but anyway, I'll get to that in a bit. (laughs) If you are new to this podcast, welcome, first and foremost. And then secondly, you can catch us on Instagram at Legally Clueless Podcast. And on Twitter, if you chit chat about the podcast, please use the hashtag Legally Clueless because I would love to have an easier time eavesdropping on your tweets. I am super excited about the story in this episode because I think it's very layered,
1: very layered. There's a lot to unpack from it. Listen to this. I live in Bogota, in Colombia. In uni, I was doing a course that I really didn't enjoy. And I remember just all of them saying, Are you serious? You're going into teaching. Why are you choosing poverty? The problem is, I didn't have an education degree, meaning they couldn't pay me like a teacher. I applied to Colombia. I interviewed, they tell you to either dance for them or thing for them. So I touched my nose with my tongue and I thought, okay, they laughed a bit. But I think every year coming back here, it's so far away. It takes like 37 hours to get here. I got the job. So I'm the head of maths now. But I think I will be able to get another job or I will just be okay. Or maybe my savings might not make it through the whole of my master's program or anything that I choose to do. That's a big, big fear. You'll be okay. So what's the big deal?
0: Oh man, I think this is one of my favorite stories recording. And I also Have such a special place in my heart for stories that are from legally clueless listeners. And you will hear that story a little later in the episode. And I'll tell you more about it then. However, Christmas week. (laughs) Uh, I really love Christmas. And I think it has 100% to do with my mom. Because my mom went the extra mile. Like you can imagine this woman was dealing sometimes with let's say chemo and radiotherapy. That was after she got diagnosed with cancer. She was dealing with an asshole of a husband who was abusive. And she still managed to ensure from the gates was decorated. (laughs) (laughs) there's the tree those gifts under the tree like everything that would make it such a wholesome and warm time of the year she did despite what was breaking her at the time so yeah i think it has everything to do with that and i'm so happy my sisters and i still carry on the tradition we spend every christmas together and so that's what we're going to do later on this saturday's hangout at my sister's place and just eat from morning until almost curfew time and then go back to our homes and exchange gifts, which is very important. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I hope you have a fantastic Christmas. I know the experience I have with my sisters Is not a given for all families. Not all families get together during Christmas. Sometimes getting together with family is traumatic for some people. And if that's the case for you, I'm sending you so much love. Because I know that means holidays can be terrible. And I'm really sorry about that. But also, in more happy news, Legally Clueless just surpassed a million streams. Yeah, a million online streams. So, I woke up today... And before starting to produce this episode, I was doing admin work. So just checking the back end, the tech boring stuff of the podcast. And I checked the numbers and I was like, oh, my God, we are over a million streams. We're actually at one million fifteen thousand two hundred and fifty six streams as of recording this, which is ugh." It feels so good. It feels so good because not only do I enjoy this space and even hearing you enjoying this space makes me feel so good, but I also know that I've poured my heart and sweat into this podcast. I work so hard on it and I'm not complaining about the hard work. I really do enjoy it. And so to see it become something so beautiful, to see it cross the a million mark is wonderful. I was not prepared for <laughs> The A Million Mark My partner and I had spoken about it And I was like, yeah, that's probably going to be around January, February And I was like, I'm definitely going to have a bottle of champagne And I'm going to turn up I did not expect it to be here on the 20th of December But it feels really good and I'm so thankful And I really do appreciate you And I would love to know what has been your most impactful or favorite episode so far And you can either send that to the Legally Clueless hotline number Which is in the description description of this episode or you can also just comment or DM on Instagram. Because for me, yes, it's over a million streams, but it's stories. The streams are the episodes, the episodes are the stories, and they're the places where I share about my life and my experiences. And so I would just want to know which parts of those points in the podcast you have completely felt connected to. And honestly, this a million streams could not have come at a better time because... Because I found myself feeling a bit rushed. I don't know if you felt that, especially due to social media, where as much as I mute so many accounts and I only follow a lot of like creative spaces, a lot of feminist organizations, literally just pages that will interest me creatively. But every so often, there will be media posts like from traditional media houses or posts from other podcasts and those things make me feel rushed they make me feel like the stuff I'm working on for the podcast needs to get out like right now, like look what other people are doing. It feels like you're not giving this a hundred percent. And then I have to do so much work undoing those thoughts and telling myself, no, you're enjoying the space that you're in. You're enjoying this journey. Whatever things you want to create for this podcast or under this podcast, please don't let them be influenced by what other people are doing. Let that creative experience be so fluid and so pure and come really from your heart and also just trying to remind myself that there isn't one right way of doing things there's only my way of doing things and your way of doing things and other people's way of doing you know what i mean so looking at how somebody is doing their thing on their journey shouldn't make you veer off from your thing and your journey. So I've had to do a lot of work like just reinforcing that over the last couple of days because I felt like oh my god I'm focused so much on launching the book I co-authored next year on my hosting gigs on the initiative and the programs. I was like oh my god am I forgetting the podcast or if I fail to post something on the podcast page I'm like look at that why would you do that why are you not taking it seriously you're such a disappointment you know these words we use on ourselves are so oof sometimes we're so harsh with ourselves so I was doing that for like four days and then trying to counter it with everything I learned in therapy all my coping mechanisms and exercises and so stumbling on the one million streams I was just like oh (laughs) boy did I need that like it feels good and I'm very thankful to you for listening to the podcast so I want to share the song of the week Let me tell you, I love this guy. I have shared one of his other songs with you and I stumbled on him randomly on YouTube. Just, you know, the recommendation thing that YouTube does. I am so thankful because he actually started off as a poet. So I connect with a lot of musicians who were first poets just because I'm a poet as well. And then he found his way into music. I love his visuals for all his songs and oh my God, so this week he, well, this past week he released the visuals of his most recent song, which is the song of the week. I'm getting to it in a bit. And I shared it on my Insta stories and then he replied, Ooh. he replied and then he followed me back on Instagram and I was jumping around the house. Falgoon, my partner was so irritated with me. He's like, Ugh, now you're just happy your crush has followed you. I'm like, "Yup." <laughs> next we're going to meet each other (laughs) so his name is koji radical he is from the uk but i think he is originally from ghana but you know born and brought up in the uk and the song is good no like that's the name of the song (laughs) that's the name of the song it's called good and what I like about it, it's just a reminder. And we could all use those reminders when we're feeling a bit stressed, worried about this, that, and the other, to just remember that we're good. We have the basics. We, we are here. We're alive. We're in this present moment, which means we're good. It's very easy to look at what you don't have or what's not going right and to forget what's going right on a daily, the small things that go right on a daily. And this song is such a good reminder of that. So I've put a link. In the description of this episode to the music video, the music video is like virtual reality type thing. And so at the beginning, it tells you to put on your headphones. Please make sure you do that. Otherwise, the sound will seem distorted. And I know how irritating it is. Like when a video starts and they're like, put on your headphones, you're like, ah, they're so far. Trust me, put on your headphones for this one so you really enjoy the moment. And he's put in so much work into this <laughs> this video, you might as well. Look at how I'm even <laughs> taing him. <laughs> this is love. <laughs> but that's the song of the week and I hope you like it as much as I do. Okay, so let's get into the 100 African story And this is a story I received the demo on the Legally Clueless hotline number. And I was very intrigued because I was like, hmm, a Kenyan teacher all the way in Bogota. What was so interesting is her interviewing process because she mentioned how at a point she touched her nose with her tongue. Yes, during the interview for this particular job. I hope you enjoyed this story. A 100 African Stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa.
1: Hi, my name is Waboy, and I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. I don't currently live in Nairobi, Kenya. I live in Bogota in Colombia. I'm a teacher. I've been teaching for the last nine years. No, that's a lie. Yeah, I think it's actually six years. Oh, my God. I'm a math teacher, and here I am struggling with a number of years, but I think it's because I've also been tutoring for a long time before that. So I think during this time of COVID, I've just been in my apartment since March, first of all, teaching online and talking to students online. And it's brought and highlighted a lot of aspects of my journey into teaching. So I first started teaching just as a joke, like just tutoring when someone tells you, oh, you're good at math. so you just talk to my son for a few minutes. And that's not exactly what teaching is, but it does give you um, an aspect of how much impact you can do with some explanations, especially if you provide the patient to the person who in a bigger classroom setting wouldn't otherwise have the patients offered to them. So in uni, I was doing a course that I really didn't enjoy and everyone was destined for an office job or to go on and do data collection and do research and do all these other things. And for me, those are things or aspects that really used to stress me out. Um, But to make extra money on the side, I would tutor. I remember tutoring this one student. She was on the verge of like her last option, you know, like where you're not allowed if you fail this one last course, then that's it. You're going be given an opportunity, even though you spent four years in university. So she came up to me and was like, hey, you seem OK with math and you're a math major. Why don't you just tutor me for um, a month? I have this exam to do and then I'll pay you this much. So tutored her. Um, she got an A. I'm not sure if it was a valid A, because sometimes with resets, um, you can't ever be too sure. So once you got the A, I just sat back and I was like, huh, all this time I've been wondering what to do with my degree. And this actually is something that I've enjoyed, because I think with her feeling accomplished, even I felt accomplished, like I had done something good and I felt like it had given me purpose, basically. Like I was like, oh, OK, this is actually all right, you know, like me um, teaching and basically like explaining math to someone else. Um other people joked that I did it just enjoy the sound of my own voice <laughs> because I'm the leader or traditional teaching tells you that you're the leader in the room as opposed to the facilitator. But yeah. But then it came to I think being able to say it out loud and I think there's a lot of stereotypes or thoughts that go like opinions that come in when you say you want to be a teacher and I remember saying it for the first time to this one student who of course having been my student for her it was quite easy to embrace it the next thing I was saying it to one of my classmates and she said it in front of like all the other classmates and I remember just all of them saying are you serious you're going into teaching and I was like yeah I really want you to go into teaching um i did the IB program at St. Mary's, and I thought, you know what? I really enjoyed IB math, and that's the last time I felt like that connected with a mathematical subject when it was giving the roots and how to think and um, giving you a good substantial basis of how to apply math in the real world. I didn't feel that same connection when I was in university and I suspect that why well, I was particularly unhappy, my classmates didn't particularly embrace the idea. So I thought, okay, you know what, it's fine. Let's just keep trying to say it out loud because when you say it out loud, then it becomes real. And this one really close friend, I remember saying it out loud to them and saying, hey, um, I'm thinking of becoming a teacher. And I remember they went into, why are you choosing poverty? You're just choosing poverty for your future. Your parents have worked so hard to help you out to the mathematical degree. And then you choose Poverty, and I was just like, whoa! I totally did not see that coming. And it took well, there's a lot of arguments I could give against it because at the end of the day, I don't pay. If I were to have children, I wouldn't pay school fees. But it was just such a blow that I didn't say it again for a long time. I was just like, okay, you know what? Let's just sit on this for a bit. Let me do my exams um, for uni and see where it goes from there. So it's funny because when I finished KCSE, and you know, you do this random application for unis around. Kenya they send you like you know how you do the option one option two option three option four and then there's a for anything that you might just want to do randomly like gardening there's that option as well none of them was teaching so how did I end up being sent for a letter two years later after I had started my degree to go and teach early childhood education and I'm not one for the little ones like there's a lot that goes into teaching them that is a lot about teaching them to be people at the same time as teaching them medication. So I was just like, no, there's no way. So it was when I finally told my parents, they were like, oh, yeah, I remember that letter that came in two years ago and you were not embracing it. You were so rejectful of the fact that someone would think that you'd want to be a teacher. You were really, really against it. So then came in the hard part for like actually doing applications. And I didn't know the process that went into it. So I reached out to a couple of my old teachers. Ironically, the one who supported me was someone who never actually taught me and gave me somewhere to go and learn more about the IB program, which turned into an an internship that was not really an internship. It was more of a gappy year. So how, it works is you observe what the teachers teach and then they start to give you a bit more responsibility like okay today just do the first 10 minutes of the lesson then next time you do 30 minutes of the lesson or the end of the lesson and then you build up to doing a whole lesson and then into a series of lessons in order to generate that skill of being able to apply teaching but the problem is I didn't have an education degree, meaning they couldn't pay me like a teacher because I was not qualified as a teacher. I was disqualified as a math major, which went into meaning that I had to go back to school. And I thought it would be the biggest task going back to my parents and being like, hey, I know this is a big, big ask, big, big ask, but it's a loan. And could you just help me out on this one thing? And ironically, it was my gran who was like, ah, do as you wish. But this time you have to go for graduation because the last time. For my first degree, I refused to go for graduation. So she's like, this time you need to actually get it done. My degree that I chose to do in uni was quite a struggle in choosing it with my parents because it got to a point where they were like, we're not paying for anything else. You go do that because you're good at it. Because I thought, oh, I want to be a robotics engineer and build robots. And then eventually they're like, no, you're good at this. Could you go and just do what you're good at the math, the stats? And I think there was an article somewhere that had read that. Statisticians are getting rich, and my mom was so invested in it. So, there's a lot of hiccup there when we had a very strenuous relationship at some point. And in addition, I couldn't cope. Like those nine hour graduations where you have to be there at 6 a.m., some politician takes it upon them to make it their political campaign. You're in the sun, there's no shade. I was like, no, thank you. There's no way. So, after I did the course, which is an online course, so that was perfect, it came to the point for applying for a job. I did a international course in order to be able to go outside if I wanted to so that other schools around the world would recognize um, the certification. And when it came to applying for the job, I threw my applications everywhere, like literally to as many countries as possible. There might be have at the moment been some male influence as an incentive to leave the country at the same time, but I also had my safety net um, being a couple of schools in Nairobi, one in Mombasa. Some in Tanzania as well. And I applied to Colombia as a, okay, you know what, this job seems to fit me. I'm not sure they'll take a newly qualified teacher, but let's see how it goes. And in the environment that I was in, being an IB school, you see a lot of teachers from abroad or from other countries just coming in and, co- and going and coming in and going. And I thought, you know what, so even me too, I can also be the type of teacher who goes somewhere else and teaches for a bit and then I can come home. Or go to another country. And I remember one teacher saying, "Uh -uh -uh, that's not for us. That's for them. It really baffled me what that meant. I was like, what do you mean for them? Like, aren't we allowed to travel and to look around and to just enjoy being movers as well? Because it's not that it aligns to a certain group of people to be able to um, explore. And even to this day, I have uncles who ask me, like, are you done with your adventure? Isn't it time to come home? And I'm like, I get that, but (laughs) there's questions that go around it. So anyway, I applied to all these schools. And at the time, one of my mentors that was meant to be doing my paperwork and my referees told me, oh, are you going to go to China? Because that's where many teachers from Kenya go and I was like oh I'm thinking of going a bit further because not many opportunities come for Kenyans to go to Latin America because it's quite far and it's quite expensive so if I can get the opportunity to be there for two years I don't think there's any other time my opinion but I don't think there's any other time in my lifetime where it'll just come readily available and I remember him saying this one thing to me he's like uh I'm not sure you should apply to other places they wouldn't be sure of the mathematics you learned in university and I was just like wait what like of all The subject offered in a school, if any subject lends itself to internationality. It's math. It's a universal accepted because when you think of algebra in Kenya, there's no difference. And that's what we teach in IB. We teach about the commonalities between different nationalities and historically about math and I'm like, of all the subjects, this is one that lends itself best to be applied in any other country around the world. When you think of history, find there's an angle of what history you're learning and when you think of other subjects, you might need some local perspective But when you think of math, it's just, it's it's the same math. Like, math in Nairobi is math in wherever else in the world it'll be. So then it made me even more adamant to apply for the job in Bogota. And I remember applying and no response for a bit. So I went and found the headmaster's email on the side and I shot him an email I'm like, hi, my name is um Roy Karanju and I'm, I'm just introducing myself because I want you to know that I've applied to your school. It was then came to the interview. I interviewed and they do ask you to do something for them which is quite peculiar. They tell you to either dance for them or sing for them but luckily for me they left it as an open book and said do anything which is perfect because it was February and it was hot and I was in really tiny shorts but dressed really official on the top from the top I looked very official and ready for the interview but bottom I was not so I touched my nose with my tongue and I thought okay they laughed a bit there's a bit of Harry Potter talk and I thought you know what, this job really has to be mine and I remember laughing with friends and thinking ah if I licked my nose and got a job we must really party and enjoy it and a few weeks later they responded and rejected me for the job which Hurt, hurt, hurt. And then the next day, I thought, you know what? It's fine. I'm a newly qualified teacher. I don't know what exactly that was going on there. So I'm just going to shoot them an email and tell them thank you for the opportunity and for the interview and if they have any feedback for me to let me know, which is what I did. Turns out it was a mistake. I was not meant to receive that email. It's just that the collection of emails had been piled up and the secretary had sent it to me by mistake. And if I hadn't actually emailed to say thank you, it would have never been rectified. is what my boss told me at the time. So during the process, I think even the day they accepted, first of all, it was chaos because there was a Mombasa job that was being offered to me at the same time. And I ended up actually rejecting the Mombasa job with faith, like absolute faith. You're thinking, oh, my God, if I reject this and it's such a good opportunity. And there's another Nairobi one as well, which is good money. So the Nairobi one is really good money. And my parents were like, "Okay, this one has a good amount of money to it. But I'm like, hmm, but... And I remember like telling my dad and he's like, if you're trying to run away, then run away to, to Mombasa or, or Tanzania. And I was like, I'm, I'm really not trying to run away. So there's a lot of thoughts like that and opinions coming in for But Bogota. And of course, everyone thinks of the first thing when you think of Colombia, they're like, ah, cocaine. And I'm like, really, really like Pablo Escobar. And that's the narrative that everyone, everyone who knew where Colombia was, that's the narrative they were asking me about. A lot of my older family thought it was columbia like in um the u.s i think i had one family member who thought i was going to sri lanka but it was stressful and relief but so chaotic in the applications taking the photos and a lot of the application stuff was done by the school so there's that relief of when people asking me so what are you really doing And i'm like oh the school's actually helping us a lot um i did have a nicaraguan friend who was helping me just translate the documents because there's that aspect that i really didn't sit back and think oh i licked my nose and got a job and i'm going to a country where there's no english and i need to figure this part out in terms of my legal documents and what they really mean and luckily she's so embracing of okay let's read through this together and tell you what it means um i did start duolingo but it mostly teaches you how to say milk and apples for the first few months which you don't arrive in a country and go milk apples so there's a lot of emotion over I can't believe this actually happened. It was disbelief mostly. And excitement, I think. I think it was really excitement. There was, of course, a a tinge of arrogance to the guy who told me no one else would believe, um, accept the quality of my mathematics because I went to university in Kenya. So he was one of the first ones I told. I was not humble when it came to him. There was no humility at all. I just went in and I'm like, hey, I got the job. And he was like, oh. And I remember him getting my reference. Um, because he was like, Oh, that means you're really close to getting the job But there was still so much um negativity coming from him. So when he was like, Oh, okay, fine, send my application And having that person as your referee is not the best feeling in the world. It just feels like if that's a person who's referring you and they have such a lack of faith in you, then who are you to like really start giving yourself this motivation to actually get the job? So I didn't actually come to Bogota straight because I had a few. I needed to go see my cousins for an emergency in the UK and then um, passed through the US and then came here. So I arrived so first of all, in all this period, my visa still hasn't arrived. So they kept dilly dialing with my visa and I was like, I already had a flight booked to the UK. Goodbye. You guys will send my visa to wherever that is. I went to the US and I had to send my passport to my brother. He went, got my visa, it for me and then I arrived in Bogota. The school does a pickup for you in the night. They give you at least some pesos to start your day the next day. But luckily, I was one of the people put inside a house with someone else because usually you're put in a house by yourself. I was put in a house someone else. I had arrived six days later than everyone else, so they were already in session because of visa issues. So I went to school the first day, having done Duolingo with so much confidence for three months, thinking I know how to say apples and milk. And the... Potero, which is the the guard at the gate was like good morning and i looked at him like oh my god So like buenos dias and i'm like okay that happened i sh- I, I i know that response so I walked around the next day three days later was the first time i could actually respond to him so it's like buenos dias and i was like ah buenos dias and it was so exciting to just say hello to him for the first time and click in my brain that i do know the response to that i'm not the best travel person. I'm the person who does zero research. And I'm like, ah, we'll figure it out when we get there. So I did arrive here thinking it was the most tropical country, which it is. I just forgot that, you know, I knew that Bogota was high, that it was um, on 2,700, 3,000 meters above sea level. But I didn't. it didn't click in my head that means cold so i did arrive with like two sweaters and i'm like oh this is this is kenyan winter like this is 17 degrees where we we light fires and cover ourselves with masai shukas and it it was so cold for me it was freezing so i had to get hot water bottles and but there's a big support system on your first few months here from the school so that was good and i think latin american people tend to be a lot like kenyans but they're just very warm and welcoming and they're like ah You know, it will take you around to figure out your internet, figure out your phone. I didn't figure out my phone for so long that I just used to go and give my phone to this guy at the, like our safaricom. So like it's called Claro and it I just give it to him. He had a baby that was three months and I learned that I finally needed to do something about that three years later because I was like, I've watched your child grow. Our Spanish level is on the same level now. And I can have some conversations with her, but I'm still giving you my phone to figure out how to put credit in it. I need to learn to do a few things on my own. I love teaching. I really love teaching. I think the best part of teaching is the children. And I think the worst part is the adult. <laughs> um, it's just that I think they come in with so much courage and so much freedom to just apply themselves. And if you stick to remembering that not every student is an A student, that everyone has their own path in life. and I think part of the reason that I was motivated to like just start speaking about this is because I write recommendations every single year and there's a student of mine who's getting so much flack this year for a decision that she's made and it was just hearing all the voices that come in to tell you negative things about the options you have in life when I'm like but we all just made it anyway like when I look around and I'm like you'll get there if it's something that you enjoy and you can see a path you're the one who has the idea and you'll You'll get there, and I see my students modeling art projects with math, which is what something I really enjoy. I love seeing the connections. So I used to. This is the first year that I'm not teaching another subject. Theory of knowledge, um, I've taught it as well all through. So TOK is like about finding how we learn, where knowledge comes from. So I do like to build on the connections between math and art, or math and storytelling, which I'm trying out for the first time this week. One of my biggest highlights is a math art project that I did with my students in march when all this lockdown started and i was teaching them a particularly hard subject about transformations of functions and this one student took this bieber song and just made like a whole video for it with love hurts and ice cream and you could just see the functions moving and actually being applied to music and it's that part of it really, really excites me that you think, wow, okay, like I taught you. I'm not even sure about that part that we've been doing this together and you've made such an amazing project. And every time they write me from university, because now I've been here four years, so my students who've gone to university do write me and tell me what they're learning. I do receive messages where I'm like, oh, bless, I have no clue what you're talking about. That math is so hard for me. Like, it's way beyond anything that I've ever done. But I'm really, really proud of you. And it started this year that I started thinking, I, these students, I write a recommendation and they go to these huge universities. I'm like, see, I'm the person writing the recommendations. Even me, I can go. So there was a, a moment like that where I was like, hmm, I, I need to go back to school so at least I can start to understand some of my students' emails. And it's not even like the ones who go to uni, that's far reaching. So in IB, you have to do an extended essay. It's a 4000 word essay, which is a big task to ask of a high school student. The thing is that some of them choose to do it in math and every time they choose to do it in math, I'm like, oh, no, here we go, because it means that I have to study so much. Um, So I had like one of my students did it on the mathematics of a snowflake and I was like, here we go. And I remember him getting his grade and I'm just like, man, but the amount of studying I had to do in order to be his supervisor um, to guide him through. So he'd come and tell me something and I'm just shaking my head like, "Mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, I wasn't the supervisor, but the student who was doing it would come and talk to me just to bounce. You know, like when you just need someone to bounce ideas off of. It's just it sounds better when you're talking to someone to just ground your thoughts. So she'd come and do it to me, and I was just like, ooh. She couldn't do it to her peers because she was going beyond the reach of what IB math had gone. But she didn't know it was also beyond my reach. And sometimes I've understood that. Students do also need, like, even through tutoring, it's just that with really good students, sometimes they, they also just need someone to hear them out, to bounce their thoughts off of. I used to tutor this girl online, and she's so smart, but and she did not need a tutor. I did tell her very many times, you do not need a tutor, but it was just a confidence boost to see that, oh, she's actually echoing something that... Um, makes sense. But I think every year coming back here, it's so far away. It takes like 37 hours to get here, first of all, with an okay flight. So, and it's also because I have a bias for Emirates. They're usually the cheaper ones. And with age, I'm just like, wait, I'm tired of 37 hours and layovers. And if there's anyone who has a worst luck with flight, I could tell you, I think I could write a book about bad luck with flights. I've spent 19 hours in Brazil, stuck, thinking about how I'm going to live in the airport forever. Lost flights here and there it's just been a story and a half, if I tell you, about my all my flying and all the craziness. But it's become so hard every year. So it started to nag at me as to how hard it is coming back. Because so you'd think after five times of coming here, like, it would, I wouldn't need to cry anymore when I'm leaving Kenya. I'm like, oh, my God, it's so hard. Um, but this year I came in and I was, was... it this year? Yeah, I think, yeah, it was this year. So I came in in January and I was like, okay, you know what? Let's start thinking about what I really need to do as a next plan because it will be five years this year. And then my boss was like, my... Head at the time was like, oh, I'm leaving this year, so. What's your plan? And I was like, okay, this is a sign to stay because he's telling me he's leaving. So that means that's an opportunity. And I spoke to a couple of people and they're like, wow, you can just apply. It's your opportunity. And then someone told me, are you ready for this other person to be your boss? And I was like, wait, I want to be the boss. Like, why are you asking me if I'm ready for someone else to be my boss? And I was like, you know what? Let's apply in order to receive a sign. You know, when you start fishing for signs from the universe. So I applied at the time I was in a bad mental state so even my therapist was like you didn't do your best with that one application like these are jokes so that was actually one of the pushing factors to go for therapy that I had stopped applying myself it was just half-heartedly doing everything I got the job so I'm the head of maths now and then even before like completely starting the job I'm like um so I wanted to leave this country. And everyone's like, Are you serious? Like you're kidding me. But and it was just a moment of what I, my measures of success, yes. Like career is really important. But what is also the cost that I'm neglecting with like my emotional part or Well, also I've been trapped in my apartment for since March. And it brought up so many anxieties and so many thoughts on being alone and being lonely and versus the job and how important it is. And the moments where I was like, ah, I'm, I'm just going to choke on an orange in this apartment and die. And then I want to be found for three days. And then my neighbor would come and be like, ah, I need to jump over your balcony. So I was like, fine, he's the one who will know when it starts stinking. So there'd be things like that where I'm like, huh, maybe, hey, this is a bit too hard to be by myself here. Now, when I'm a bit older, before it was an adventure, and I've gotten to see a lot of the country, and it's beautiful, and the people are lovely. But when I'm starting to become cynical about it, when new people come in, and I'm just like, it just means it's time to go. It's not that it's a bad place. It's not that anything bad has happened in particular. It's just that it's highlighting my need to focus on the bigger picture, the whole of me. Hey, I was fishing for signs. I was even like, like my vest story like clothes that I came with in 2016. And I was like, that's a sign to go. If my vests are tearing, it's not about buying new clothes. It's just, fishing and fishing for science and then I went and on to ask other people and the people I asked were like yeah you've done quite a good amount of time so it only makes sense for you to leave now and it's like oh that's not the answer I was looking for but it's the answer I'm receiving so even from my parents were like oh okay your adventure is finished now but then there's the other side as well who are like you've been given this opportunity to represent Kenyans if you just threw away an opportunity I was like Ah, uh, excuse me like when I was saying I wanted to be a teacher you guys are telling you I'm choosing poverty, and now you're like, I need to be a representative for Kenyans. I'm like, I need to also just take care of myself, you know, like to ensure that, yeah, that I'm also doing okay holistically, and to ensure that I'm nurturing growth in other areas. So yeah, now I'm doing master's application. I don't think my boss knows I'm I'm leaving yet, <laughs> but um, that will come up at some point, I'm sure. And it's just in order to be a better teacher, mostly that I think that I need to learn just a bit more. But I also just wanted to see my shoshu a bit more, like, Maze, like it's just like I've missed my grand and being home. And there's so much FOMO, like when you start looking at how much my parents and my family took Corona time as family time. So I was just like, ah, the FOMO was so real. So it just became more indicative of me missing out on so much. And I just needed to be. One of my biggest fears is that I won't get another one just because many people highlight that aspect of you're throwing like there's that language that's used and there's so much power in language when someone says you're throwing away an opportunity and it's just for them to be right. And even with the whole process of applying for this job to get here when everyone is like, oh, you know, they, they want to be too sure of the mathematics level and that way they weren't right then so now I'm like oh am I really throwing away an opportunity am I giving giving up has been used as a word as well I'm like I've experienced a lot that's not just my job here and I feel like I've gotten a lot from the country in terms of friends and experiences that will last with me forever but at the same time I sit back and I'm like oh but I think I will be able to get another job or I will just be okay or maybe my savings might not make it through the whole of my master's program or anything that I choose to do that's a big big fear I think I'm getting to that point of but see, you're okay like at the end of the day see, you're fine if you're if you're in a good space mentally and you're eating and you're sheltered see, you're fine like really because at the end of the day what's really the saving the saving the saving of money if you don't get to experience these important moments that will play a bigger role and the moments that you remember when you're older yeah so it will just be but see you're okay like you'll be okay so what's the big deal
0: Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. Didn't you really enjoy that story? You know, it's it's so funny because I always tell anybody who I'm, you know, engaging to record their story for the podcast. I'm like, because sometimes people feel like their stories are not insightful or their stories don't have things that people can relate with or are not interesting. You know what I mean? And I'm always like, yo, every story is so interesting. And there's always something you'll walk away with from the story. And this was that story for me, like where at first my reaction was, yeah, you just have to really think about what's really important in the grand scheme of things. Whatever it is that you're worried about right now or is such a huge fear for you right now. In five years, in the bigger picture, is it still that important or have you just just overthought it in the moment. I thought I learned so much about the teaching journey. You know, it's so funny. I was thinking about it even while editing the story that I'm friends with some of my teachers from IB when I went to St. Mary's, especially one of them, Mrs. Kasuku. And I'd never asked her why she got into teaching. Like I'd never asked her what that journey kind of was like. So it was so interesting to hear it in the story. And it made me think about the teachers who've impacted my life. One that I feel so Guilty because I don't remember her name, but I can see her face so clearly. Was when I was in high school in Botswana, and my literature teacher I want to say her name was Mrs. Engels, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Oh, no, it was not. Engels was my (laughs) oh, my word, Engels was my friend Tom. (laughs) His name was Tom Engels. Scratch that, that was not my teacher's name. (laughs) I feel so bad that I can't remember her name, but she's my literature teacher and she's the one who introduced me to poetry she's the one who introduced me to listening to music and the lyrics and understanding that the lyrics in a song can actually be poetry and I will never forget that because that's when I started writing and years later like all the traumatic things that I went through poetry still is my way of healing and pouring whatever is inside out so for me that will always be the teacher who i feel really impacted my life and maybe you could share who is that teacher for you especially if its positive impact i mean we all have <laughs> a- 844 <laughs> 844 is the well was the education system in kenya and it was known to be quite rigorous and i remember in primary school there was a teacher again i can't remember what's wrong with me and names i can't remember her name <laughs> But she was so terrible. She was our Kiswahili teacher. And I would always feel Kiswahili. Like to the point my mom was not even faced by it anymore. And I remember she once told us that we belong in Jacaranda school. At the time, I didn't even know what Jacaranda school was. And I was just like, whatevs. And then I mentioned it in passing to my mom how mean this teacher was. And she told me and my two friends that we belong in Jacaranda school. My mom was so pissed. Turns out... This was a school for special needs students. Not that there's anything wrong with, you know, being special needs, but for a teacher to say those things. I remember she even once told a friend of mine who had lost her dad when she was much younger. She's telling off my friend and she goes like, oh, no wonder your dad died. Honestly, some people should not be around children, should not be. Even forget being around children. They should not be teachers. I think she got fired because I remember my mom was on the PTA and me and my big mouth I just went saying all of these things this teacher was doing. <laughs> I was such a snitch. But we all have those teachers who had a negative impact on us. But maybe you could share the ones who had a positive impact on you. It would be nice to hear that either in the comments or on our Instagram page or even on Twitter using the hashtag legally clueless. And remember, even through this Christmas period and the holiday season, if you feel like you want to share your story on the podcast, I'm still going to be working, so you can share a 1-minute story demo on the hotline number which is plus +254768628790 and just tell me a bit about the story that you want to share and i'll get back in touch with you and you can also still on that number share an audio note if there's something in one of the Legally Clueless episodes that you identify with maybe you just want to celebrate the one million streams maybe you just want to share Christmas greetings and wishes you can do that via voice note to that same number as well. Hi Adele my name is Wanjiko. my best podcast was the one about the one that you invited Mugunga The one about self-identity, I can relate so much with it. The fact that I'm not quite sure of who I am at the moment, but I'm trying to find myself.
1: The fact that I've known I don't have to be one thing, I can be many things but have a
0: certain identity. Oh, thank you so much, Wanjiko. That was a fantastic episode. Magunga is just wonderful. So, so wonderful. And I loved that conversation about being one thing versus just being. And there's this quote that I read. I think it was a quote, but I don't know if I'm going to be sharing it verbatim because I can't remember too well. But basically, in essence, it was saying just be. That actually is a complete sentence instead of be this or that just be. And it's also, I think, important, well, I've learned from my own journeys, like to let there be room for you to evolve. Because, you know, 10 years ago, being a radio presenter as an employee on a traditional station was it for me. And I had such a hard time letting, like I knew I didn't like the job and I wanted to leave, but I had a hard time letting go of this thing that I was good at and this thing that I thought was all I could ever be. I didn't realize that I am. That's also a complete sentence. Over my life, I will keep evolving and doing different things. That wouldn't change the status of I am. Does that make sense? Very thankful that I did that work as I was resigning just to understand that, again, as you said, you don't have to be one thing. Just be. And do you remember during this holiday season, I am not taking a break. I never do. The episodes will still go out Obviously, your schedule will be different. And in January, you'll find all the episodes here, man. So you can still count on getting an episode every Monday. And you can also still catch this podcast on Trace Radio in Kenya every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 9 a.m. and at 8 p.m. If you go to traceradio.co.ke, there's a list of all the frequencies basically telling you... How you can listen to Trace Radio wherever you are in Kenya. And you can also stream it on traceradio.ca.ke. And last but definitely not least, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. I'm sending you so much love and so much warmth. And...